Last week, Grant used his opening take to apologize for his pregame assessment of Florida Atlantic. As Grant said in his soliloquy, we here at West of Everest respect our listeners. And in turn, we hope to uphold our credibility when it comes to analyzing Oklahoma football and college football as a whole. Well, today I want to take a moment to point out something that Grant and I dogged big time this summer. And through two weeks of college football, I'm not afraid to say that we were completely correct in doing so. I'm talking about Sports Illustrated's list of the top 100 college football players of 2018. SI put its rankings out in June and immediately Grant and I pounced. Our biggest complaint, just one OU player was found on the list, Rodney Anderson at number 30, which led us to our second biggest complaint, zero OU wide receivers were listed in the top 100, which meant studs Marquise Brown and CeeDee Lamb were not being considered to be top players in college football this season, which was patently absurd in June and is still patently absurd in September. Not only did Brown and Lamb not make the list, four other Big 12 wide receivers did make the list. One of them was fair. West Virginia's David Sills is a really nice player and definitely deserving of a top 100 label. However, TCU's Jalen Rager and Texas's Lil Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson are not. Yet those three players were featured while CD and Hollywood were left out. Two games are in the books now for Oklahoma, and is there any doubt Marquise Brown and C.D. Lamb are two of the best wide receivers in college football? Sure, Lamb was mostly absent in the win over FAU, but man, Lincoln Riley and Kyler Murray certainly wanted to showcase Lamb's talent Saturday against UCLA. Seven catches, 146 yards, one touchdown, plus a long punt return, and a beautiful Odell Beckham-like one-handed catch that didn't count because he was, of course, out of bounds. As for Brown, he made yet another electrifying play Saturday, catching a 12-yard curl and turning it into a 58-yard touchdown. Brown has 10 catches, 221 yards, and two scores through two games. The only player on that SI Top 100 list that's averaged more yards per catch is Clemson's T. Higgins. In fact, both Brown and Lamb each are averaging 21 or more yards per reception so far this year, better than all players on that list, aside from the aforementioned Higgins. In week one, leading up to the FAU game, Brown and Lamb showed up at Memorial Stadium wearing silver and black Oakland Raider Fred Bolitnikoff jerseys. College football enthusiasts know that the Bolitnikoff Award is handed out each year to the nation's top wide receiver. Both Brown and Lamb are good enough to win that award, and in a perfect world, they'll each be involved in a friendly battle for that honor all season long. It would be very fitting if the person who wins the Bolitnikoff was not listed on SI's ridiculous top 100 list. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Third down and 14 to the 42. Kyler Murray delivers. And it's caught Hollywood! Marquise Brown welcomes us into this edition of West of Everest. I just talked about him in the opening take. He had another nice game on Saturday as the Sooners knocked off UCLA 49-21.
Hey everyone, once again, I'm Lee Benson. My brother Grant will join the show here in a moment to discuss the Oklahoma victory over the Bruins. I'll preface my thoughts right now on everything by saying that I was a little down on the Sooners walking away from Owen Field on Saturday, but upon watching back the film, I feel a lot better. Well, aside from the fact that Rodney Anderson may be out for a significant amount of time. Before we get to all of that, though, if you like this podcast, which if you're listening to it, you probably do, make sure you tell your friends, tell your family, find some stranger on the street, let them know as well about West of Everest. You can subscribe to the podcast, of course, on iTunes. You can also listen to the show on SoundCloud. Leave us a review or a rating on iTunes as well. Like the show on Facebook, follow Grant and I on Twitter. I'm at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. And if you like email still, hit us up on Gmail. Our Gmail address is westofeverest at gmail.com. Time now to talk some Oklahoma football. I'll bring in Grant now. And Grant, the latest updates we've got on Rodney Anderson's injury is from Lincoln Riley. He told my boss, News 9's Dean Blevins, early Sunday morning that Oklahoma is hoping to learn more about Anderson's injury later on Sunday night during the day or maybe even Monday morning. Now, we're recording this podcast around 6.45-ish Sunday night. At this time, there's still no update on Anderson. I did see him down on the field on Saturday walking in his street clothes after he got hurt. His right leg was heavily wrapped up, and he had one of those big leg braces on that you normally see when people have, have knee injuries. So everybody is fearing the worst for Anderson. Uh, I think the thought around the Oklahoma fan base right now, if you will, is that he has a torn ACL. I think that's the thought and that he's probably done for the rest of the season, although nothing is official yet. I'll let you take the first uh, I'll let you take the first crack at this story, Grant. What are your thoughts on this development? I mean, I think it's clearly a very devastating injury. I mean, obviously, when you lose a weapon like Rodney Anderson, it's just not a good thing. So uh, some people are going to have to step up. Trey Sermon's going to have to step up. He didn't look right on Saturday, uh, but it's probably going to have to, you know, turn out or, you know, end up being a running back by committee thing. I don't know. It's it's uh, it's it's hard to say that, you know, everything is over now until we actually see them, you know, game plan without Rodney Anderson, what they're going to do without him. Uh, but obviously a devastating injury, and uh, I, I suppose there's still a little bit of hope that it's not there, but I, I think that's probably a fool's hope. You know, I was thinking something that this big, if it's a really serious injury, the fact that we don't know yet as we record this on Sunday night, I was trying to, to think, okay, what does that mean? Granted, Riley did mention to Dean Blevins that they might hear something more on Sunday, on Monday morning, not necessarily Sunday. I mean, you got to think, though, with – with something like this or Rodney Anderson, I mean, anybody on Oklahoma, they're going to have a, a doctor take a look at it as soon as possible. So I'm sure they tried to do or they did something as, you know, as Sunday morning, you would think, uh, unless it's one of those scenarios where they couldn't quite do what they wanted to do with it because maybe there was swelling and they couldn't look at an MRI or something like that because they had to wait for swelling to go down. Therefore, the announcement has been delayed. I guess what I'm trying to get at is that the fact that we have not heard yet by Sunday evening, kind of late Sunday night, uh, late as far as, you know, if it was like a work day, you know, almost seven o'clock would be late. It's not like late you know, towards midnight. I think that's got to be a decent sign uh, until something's official. I'm not going to jump the gun and think, OK, this is he's done for the year because I it didn't look that bad. I mean, he did. He grabbed for his knee right away. And I know knee injuries like ACLs and stuff like that. Sometimes 
they happen when you're not even hit by anybody and you make a weird cut. So something, who knows what happened inside there. But it didn't look all that bad. And I think back to the spring game when Trey Sermon looked like he blew out his knee or his Achilles and we were like, oh, my God, Trey Sermon's not going to be able to play this upcoming season. And then we found out that he was fine. I know that there was uh, some post-game stuff at the time where it was like, oh, it was more optimistic than this one. Uh, so I, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's done for the year yet. I, I want to hear that official word before I, I really think that he's gone. Uh, I guess what are you? What are your reactions to my thoughts on that? I think you're being a little optimistic, but you know, good on you, I suppose. Uh, I, I could certainly envision this is a scenario where. Uh, the trainers on the sideline, all indicators pointed towards a torn ACL, and there's some sort of problem with him getting an MRI, and they're probably waiting on the first and second opinion for them just to confirm the torn ACL is what I would suspect is happening. Probably. Uh, but, you know, I, but yeah, I, I suppose, you know, if, if you want to look at the glass half full uh, scenario, then yeah, I, I don't, I don't mind you, you know, analyzing things like that, especially when we don't know 100% for sure. We haven't gotten the official word yet. But I, I mean, I, it, it, for me, it doesn't matter at all if it didn't look bad. There's, you know, people tear their ACLs all the time in non-contact situations, and it doesn't look bad. So I think that's, I, I think that's that's probably what happened with Rodney. So the question has to be asked then: Does a serious Rodney Anderson injury, and and by serious, I mean if he's out for the year, does something like that derail Oklahoma's chances of winning a national championship in 2018? Don't know yet. Uh, I think we have to see how they react to it, but it certainly doesn't help at all, especially once you remove a weapon like that from the lineup. Um, it's just going to be, you know, it's, it's going to be put more on Kyler Murray's uh, shoulders going forward, obviously. See, I, I don't think it does at all. And, you know, obviously Rodney Anderson, he's a, he's a difference maker. He's a player who we have both said are, I, I think he's the best running back in the country. Uh, I, I really liked his chances of winning the Heisman Trophy. Uh, not anymore. Uh, you know, even if he is somehow able to play again, I mean, obviously he's going to miss a lot of time or too much time. So, uh, you know, that's just it. Really sucks that he's not going to be able to play anymore. At the same time, though, the only player that would get me super concerned or, or worried about Oklahoma. Okay, yep, they're not going to win a national title of getting hurt. Is a quarterback. That's the most important position. And so if, you know, if Kyler Murray were to go down and he'd be missed, and I'd be thinking, well, they're okay. There's this is over. I mean, in Oklahoma, they're incredibly deep at running back. We, we know that. And with Lincoln Riley and that offense, it's plug and play, and, and he can scheme around it. And you got to remember, Rodney Anderson was so good last year down the stretch, as we've talked about many a times on this podcast. But for the first month of the season, he wasn't a big part of this offense, and Oklahoma's offense still was very good with Abdul Adams and then Trey Sermon showing up and a little bit of Marcellius Sutton as well. So Oklahoma has shown that it can still move the ball pretty darn well without Rodney Anderson. It's just it's just such bad luck for this guy if, if he misses another season because, you know, what was the – what was the talk on us? You know, what were we saying last year before the season began, Grant? Rodney Anderson, uh, you know, he's probably going to get hurt at some point, and he never did. He, he played a full year. He was great. And now we weren't even talking about injuries going into this season. And then game two, here you go. You have a, a, a potential serious knee injury. It's just, it's not great. Yeah. It, it's just, it, it's a situation that honestly just really sucks. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I don't think the, the offense is, I, I, the offense is still going to be really good. Um, the offense is just going to go from, you know, devastatingly lethal to lethal. 
Uh, so you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, you know, Rodney Anderson is a is is a real big deal. He's a really good player, and you know, I. I, I don't think this is going to derail any sort of chances of them winning the Big 12. I still think they can get through the, you know, that conference pretty, you know, pretty well with the guys they have. But when you're going up against the Alabamas and the Ohio States and you know, the Clemsons, their defense of the world, you need, you, you need guys who can run through arm tackles of five-star recruits. And Rodney Anderson is that kind of guy. I'm not sure if they have anyone else on that roster right now. But we'll see. You never know. Uh, Marquise Brown might be a type of guy like that. Um, so, you know... I, I don't know. It's it's certainly it's certainly not a great situation. I guess we can just hope for the best. But like I said, I think it's 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 foolish to to not think that he's going to miss a very very significant amount of time. And I talked to Marcellius Sutton after the game on Saturday, and when I asked him about Rodney and him going down, and you could just see it in his face. I mean he he was down about it, and he said that Rodney Anderson's like the heart and soul of that running back room. I mean he's the leader. I mean it, who was one of the the first guy out of uh, Lincoln Riley's mouth at media days talking about whenever he was asked questions about who's the leaders on this team, he said Rodney Anderson. And then on the defensive side, he said Kenneth Murray. And so Marcellus Sutton was broken up. The entire running back room was broken up. He said it was so hard to see him down like that. And when you lose the heart and soul of your position group and maybe even the heart and soul of your team, that's going to be a lot for Oklahoma to overcome. And uh, it's so, yeah, it's I, I may not be factoring that enough into my my handicap of uh, Oklahoma's national championship chances taking a hit uh, because because of the position he plays. I mean, running backs are important, but they're not as important as a lot of other positions. So hopefully Oklahoma can overcome just the 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 loss of him on the field, as well as uh, they can overcome that. You know, if he's out, that thought of man, this is really bad. We, we lost the heart and soul of our of our position group and maybe of our team. So, it, I mean, yeah, it's it's. It's just a tough deal no matter what. And like I said, I mean, Trey Sermon is going to have to step up. If there was ever a time, it's right now. And he did it last year in the first half of the season and then did it some more in the second half of the season when called upon. Uh, well, the, the team the team really needs him going forward the rest of the season. So we'll, we'll see how he reacts to that. And also Kennedy Brooks, TJ Pledger, uh, they're going to they're gonna get a little more playing time moving yeah, forward. Marcellia Sutton is going to play a lot well, too. Well, of course, Sutton too. Yeah, he'll get the first crack at it. He, he got the first crack. On Saturday, and, and had a real nice touchdown run as well. You know, Sutton's yeah. You know, he he had some nice runs too. You know, he I, he's he, he's not chopped liver. I, I think he's a he's he's a good college player, um, and he is absolutely a starting level you know power five running back. Um, he's just he's he's just not Rodney Anderson. All right, guys, let's move on to the game, and let's have a nice tight podcast here. We're going to talk Oklahoma offense. We're going to talk Oklahoma defense. I suppose we should talk special teams again because special teams showed up big time once more on Saturday against UCLA and we're not going to discuss any other games in college football because I'm on a tight schedule as we record here on Sunday night so first off I got some questions here I got some some bullet points Grant but the first thing I want to throw out there is just offensively what were your thoughts on the game because you weren't you weren't at the game obviously you didn't watch from from low angle you saw the the TV version the whole time I was I was down low for the entire game, and I said early on in the show that I left Owen Field kind of, kind of down on OU, and mostly on the offense. To me, Kyler Murray, of course, he had some nice throws and some, some big plays, but overall, he, there were times where he just didn't seem sharp to me down low on the field. Um, and then 
when I watched it back, it I didn't feel quite as bad and, and down on him. So uh, I'll talk more about that later. But for you, what, what were your overall thoughts of the Oklahoma offense on Saturday? I don't know. I feel kind of weird complaining about a, a game in which you win by four touchdowns and score nearly 50 points. Um, but having that been said, yeah, they, it was a little uneven on Saturday. There, there, were, there were certainly some moments of uh, some very, very high moments, and there were some low moments. They're, they, they're cer- they certainly ran into uh, uh, to a couple chinks in the armor uh, in that game, and I think, uh, I think UCLA's talent level actually had a lot to do with that. Um, UCLA has got some good players on defense, and I think, I think we saw that. And they got some really good athletes on their team just in general um, that didn't necessarily show up uh, a, a whole lot when I was watching that game against Cincinnati. Uh, but they got some dudes, and, and I, you know, going into that game, I think it was pretty obvious watching it that if they were going to do anything, they were going to stop OU's bread and butter, the 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 counter tray, and they did for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, they did, and then you know, but Lee, when I go back and I look at the numbers, and you know, the numbers don't look that bad running the ball. They average over five yards per carry. Um, I went back and looked at S and P. They had a fifty percent success rate, uh, which is very good. Um, I, I think there were just some moments where they didn't look great in which UCLA made some plays because there's some really good athletes on that defense. They just made some plays. Um, and, and, I, and I think you saw, uh, you know, Kyler Murray struggling with some things. You know, he, he struggled with, uh, with uh, you know, those flat passes again and, of course, the short passes across the middle to Marquise Brown. He was struggling with again. There were some, some throws that he was obviously high on. The highlight catch by CeeDee Lamb, uh, he never should have had to make that incredible catch out of bounds. Uh, he, you know, he, he should have put that one right on the money, but, um, so, so I, I certainly think we're seeing some warts that we did not see in week one against FAU. Um, but at the same time, I'm trying to have perspective on this and, and, and I wonder if, uh, because you're right there, there is sort of kind of a, sort of a feel like a down feeling around the team after, after the game on Saturday. And I think a lot of that has to do with one with Rodney Anderson going down. And the second is that I think everyone knows what, you know, what type of football you have to play in order to win a national championship. And I think a lot of people just kind of have the feeling uh, that on Saturday, it was a, it was a performance of a really, really good team, but they didn't really necessarily play like a team that was ready to win a national championship. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's a great assessment. That's maybe that's why, I felt so uneasy about OU when I left because it's just this is the first time and granted this is is week two so it's not like we've seen uh, Kyler Murray perform like we saw him perform last week against Florida Atlantic we've seen it you know six games in a row and then finally we're seeing a bit of a drop off even though this drop off on Saturday was still a very good game from Kyler Murray don't get me wrong it's just the standard's so high right now at Oklahoma and especially for Oklahoma quarterbacks and we heard Kyler Murray talking about that standard multiple times in August and also multiple times in the spring about how he knows the standard for quarterback play is incredibly high at Oklahoma. This is the first time that we are, that we saw the the post Baker Mayfield. All right, this is what it's like again to have a quarterback that's not anywhere near as good as Baker Mayfield. And while Kyler Murray is very very good, He's no Baker Mayfield when it comes to throwing the football with pinpoint accuracy, placing it in the right spot. And you know, how easy does Mayfield look uh, make you know the the dump off passes, the the crossing route passes, the out routes? I mean, he was always on the money. There would be maybe one or two throws a game where you're he was like a bit off, maybe high on a throw, 
But for the most part, Baker was always on the money wherever it was going to be. With Kyler Murray on Saturday, we saw, I mean, multiple throws, you know, batted down at the line. You know, Baker never really had an issue with balls getting batted down at the line because Baker would be able to kind of slide over, create those windows for himself and, and make a throw where it seems like Murray hasn't really gotten to that point yet where he's able to feel where he's got to move a little bit to, to find that hole to make sure there's no chance of a ball getting batted down. You saw some high throws. There was one on a comeback route to Marquise Brown in the second quarter. He threw way too high over Brown's head, and Brown took a hit on it because he had to leave his feet. Uh, crossing route over the middle, knocked down Brown behind him again. Uh, the the interception was just a, a deep ball that he underthrew. I mean, it, it you don't want to underthrow Marquise Brown. Just throw it out there as far as you can and let Marquise Brown run, run underneath it. So uh, he played well, but it was the first time that we're reminded, I think, like, oh, yeah, Baker Mayfield's a tough guy to replace. And uh, the accuracy is something that just you can't really teach accuracy. Kyler Murray's got good accuracy. Don't get me wrong. He's got probably above average accuracy. It's just we're so used to watching Baker Mayfield put these balls on the money where it's 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 kind of like it, it I guess it was good to be reminded that that's not normal yeah and you know hey I, I think and that's that's I think part of it as well is that you know for three years we were so used to just excellence and and I mean for really you know score in every three four drives in a row and when that didn't happen it's it's kind of odd and so that's why I say it, it's odd complaining about you know or at least finding fault with the game in which he scored 49 points had nearly 500 yards of offense I just think that's where we've come in, in college football now and 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 we just know uh what it takes these days to you know to win a national championship we saw it last year and we you know we we got so close uh, to playing in that game and I, I we, we realize now, I think, as a fan base and, and just around uh, college football as a whole, what it takes to, to, to dethrone those, those SEC monsters. Uh, we, and, you know, to be totally honest with you, and this is another reason why the Rodney Anderson injury hurts, is that OU, you know, from you know, top to bottom on the roster is not as talented as those teams yet as the Alabamas, the Clemsons, and the Ohio... Or Clemson, probably a little closer to Clemson, but the Alabamas, the Ohio States, and the Georgias. OU is not as talented top to bottom as those teams. They're they're getting a lot closer, uh, but that's why they really, really needed uh, th- their dudes on offense because they are better than those teams at those respects, and they needed as many guys like that as possible, and Rodney Anderson is one of those, is one of those guys. Um, so I, I think... Uh, um, Certainly, and moving back to Kyler Murray again, Lee, uh, he, I, I thought he played well for the most part. I thought he was really good for the most part. Um, but he certainly put some things on tape that other teams are going to be looking to exploit. Uh, most notably, him uh, attempting to throw over the offensive line. He, he had a couple of passes batted down. Um, you know, he, he did throw up some passes and just kind of hoped that his receivers um, would come down with him. He almost got CeeDee Lamb killed a couple times over the middle. Um, but at the same time, hey, he, he, he showed really good pocket awareness. He's pretty good moving around in the pocket. Um, he's, he, he's not just, he's not just uh, pulling it down and running whenever he feels pressure, which is nice. He's going through his progressions. He's got a lot of plays where he, he, he really does throw with anticipation. Uh, that touchdown pass to Marquise Brown, he threw that ball before Brown was out of his break. Uh, that was a great throw. Uh, put it right where exactly where Brown could turn up field as well. So uh, I, I'm seeing a lot of really good things from Kyler Murray. And so I, I think he, he is certainly, uh, you know, when we get, you know, maybe halfway through the season or towards the end of the season, he is he's going to hopefully be more of a nightmare than he already is. Because I, I really do think now with Rodney Anderson going down, we're, we're going to see a whole lot more of, of, of the Kyler Murray uh, running the ball for, for sure. 
Hey, I'm glad you brought up that nice throw to Hollywood that Hollywood turned into that 58-yard touchdown because I was going to bring that up as well because I just went over some of the negatives of Kyler Murray before you were talking there, but then I wanted to go over all the things that that really showed out to me on tape, and that was one of them, was the fact that, and you mentioned it, that that ball was out of Kyler's hand before Brown had turned to find the football, and that was the reason why Marquise Brown was able to, to go for a touchdown there because right when he turned around and caught it, the DB didn't have any time to break up on the play and either knock the ball down or tackle Marquise Brown immediately. And that timing allowed a guy, a, a speedster like Marquise Brown, to turn inside and then hit the afterburners. So that was one of the, the real high-level plays that Kyler Murray made. Also, that first-half uh, deep ball in the first quarter that he threw to C.D. Lamb up the far sideline out and up was perfectly thrown. C.D. made a nice catch, but, but Kyler dropped it right into the bucket. That was a great throw by him, and uh, there's there's other ones. He had a, he had that nice touchdown pass later on to Ad Miller on that slant through it right on the money. That uh, was but, a seed. That was yep. a seed. But one of the uh, the plays that didn't result in the touchdown, but I wanted to bring up that uh, it showcases Kyler Murray, and also it it shows that even though Baker Mayfield's gone, Kyler can do things that Baker Mayfield probably well, either can't do or probably would not have done. And it came into the third quarter. He made a great read, Kyler did, and it looks like Oklahoma's running that bread-and-butter double-pull counterplay that you mentioned earlier that UCLA did a fantastic job stopping on Saturday. On this play, though, Oklahoma's running it, but Murray recognizes that UCLA is, is crashing down, the defensive end's crashing down on Marcellius Sutton. Murray pulls the ball and keeps it on the zone read, it turns out to be, runs for 15 yards for the first down. And this is a perfect example of Murray's legs being used as, as a little extra wrinkle for Oklahoma this year. And again, I don't, I, don't know if, I don't know if we saw Baker Mayfield do a whole lot of that, pulling the ball on that bread and butter you know, counterplay, where normally when that was called, that was what they ran. They handed the ball off and they, they went on to the next play. And on that play, they treated it like a zone read, like an option play. And Kyler read it perfectly and ran for a, a nice gain. And then the very, I think a, like a player two later, was the nice Marcellius Sutton touchdown run as well. So just wanted to point out a couple of plays that Kyler Murray made that were really, really good and shows that he is a high-level quarterback in college. Yeah, and, and Lee, there, there certainly are ways to get around people aggressively going after the counter tray. We saw TCU do that last year in the first game where they kind of shut it down in the first quarter, and then Lincoln Riley kind of added that little zone read wrinkle. So anytime a team gets really aggressive going after the counter tray, that's when they'll add in the, 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 the zone read into that. So I wouldn't really I wouldn't be too worried about that going forward, although I'm sure a lot of teams are, are going to look at that on tape of how UCLA did that. Um before we move on, I, I did just want to say, just because I, I want to go back, we we were we were pretty down on UCLA when we watched their game against Cincinnati. But I, I just wanted to 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 talk about a, a couple guys who really stood out to me uh, on UCLA's defense, who I think are just really good players, and that's a Darius Pickett, the safety, and uh, and Nate Meters or, or or Metters, the the corner. I thought I, those two guys are really good players, um, and I think they could play for any team in the country. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, I mean, UCLA in the secondary was pretty good. It seemed like uh, right off the bat, early on in the game, Oklahoma came out and didn't run the football at all because Kyler and, and Lincoln Riley, I'm sure, noticed that UCLA was daring them to run the football. To, hey, run the ball. And, you know, that long 
pass play on the first drive where it should have probably been pass interference called against UCLA when Marquise Brown was was hit and, and looks like he kind of tackled uh, before the ball got there. You know, it, yes, that that might have changed the whole complexion of the game because you know they wanted to take the top off there with Marquise Brown, a penalty call there, and there's momentum and and, and whatnot, and you know maybe Oklahoma's offense is able to roll more, but. You know, UCLA kind of got settled in, and, and they covered well. They didn't let anybody beat them deep really all game. I don't think all game, which we saw FAU get beat on that deep Marquise Brown touchdown. So UCLA, I agree. I mean, they, they kept everything in front of them. They stopped the run pretty well for the most part. I When Oklahoma only gets 5.1 yards per carry, sure. I mean, over five yards per carry is good, but what I saw on tape from UCLA and Cincinnati, I thought Oklahoma was going to be able to run the ball at will, and the Sooners did not for the most part. So credit goes to the Bruins there. And uh, as, as we get more, we'll, we'll transition into the defensive side of the ball. Uh, th- that Dorian Thompson Robinson, we'll talk about him later, the quarterback, he's going to be a good player. He made some really good throws. He made some rookie mistakes, obviously, but I think he's going to end up being a pretty good player as well. But And, and we'll, we'll save him for a little bit later. Sure. Uh, uh, yeah, I just wanted to – there's another guy in the defense I wanted to point out to who I thought was just kind of – uh, especially uh, on stopping the counter tray, was in the backfield a lot. Who's a who's a good player that I think a lot of people at UCLA should probably be excited about was the was the uh, Osu Odigzua. He's a really big dude. Uh, he he blew up quite a bit of plays. It seemed like whenever they were getting stops in the backfield on that counter tray, it was him blowing it up in the middle. So uh, he's a really good player. <laughs> UCLA's got some really good players on their team. Uh, they have some really good individual players on their team, and you can absolutely tell they're in the middle of a culture change. And I, th- I think when they when they visit Pasadena next year for the return trip, uh, UCLA could be a really good team and, and or, you know, a, a good team. So let's transition now to the wide receivers, Grant. I had the whole opening take about CD and Marquise Brown. I'll give you a shot to to also give your thoughts. I, I went ahead two weeks into the season. I wanted to call out Sports Illustrated. Uh, CD Lamb, Marquise Brown, is it is it clear that that those are two of the top 100 players in college football? Yeah, very clear. That's it's they're the this they're they're the best uh, receiving duo in college football. Even better than those guys at Ole Miss because they Ole Miss had two guys on that list, and so did hey. So you're telling me that Colin Johnson and Lil Jordan Humphrey are not as good as C.D. Lamb and Marquise Brown as a, a receiver duo? That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, to be fair, though, I, I will say some of those guys i mean most of those guys on that list actually have had pretty good seasons so far through two games so i'm not going to i'm not going to say sit there and say they're all trash uh, for example uh, anthony johnson from buffalo i mean he's through two games he's had 10 catches 133 yards and two touchdowns you know nikhil Har- uh nikhil harry or nikhil harry from arizona state's been great for he's for good. The first two yeah, games he's re- AJ Brown at Ole Miss is really good too. Yeah, he's had uh, thir- fifteen catches, two fifty-one, three touchdowns for AJ Brown at Ole Miss. The other guy, DK Metcalf at Ole Miss, eleven for one seventy-four and two. I think Ole Miss put up like seventy points on Saturday in their game yeah, they, against yeah, they, whoever they, they played. They played Southern Illinois and they gave up like forty-five. Also, yeah. So, anyways, so I, yeah, I just wanted to see if you had any, any thoughts on the receivers. Yeah, I mean, they're both really good. It was good to see CD bust out. So now, you know, one of our questions last week was, you know, you know, was it game flow why CD Lamb and, and Grant Calcaterra didn't really get in? I think the answer was yes. Calcaterra still didn't really have a breakout game. He had a few catches against UCLA. He'll have his he'll ha- he'll have his moment. Calcaterra is too good to to just be kind of like a a one or two catch per game kind of guy, in my opinion. Uh, any other offensive stuff you want to discuss? I, I have written down here in our notes. Uh, Creed Humphrey started the game at center, 
I didn't really see much of Jonathan Alvarez. Anything you want to take from that? I I didn't really notice a whole lot of difference in the two. I mean, I the offensive line was okay. I, UCLA was definitely gearing up against the run game. Um, I, I noticed Ben Powers had a couple rough rough plays here and there, but I didn't watch it really close enough to have full thoughts on everybody. Any other offensive stuff you want to discuss? Yeah, I mean, just just one more time, just the you know the receivers, Lamb and Brown are like I mean, yeah, I, it's it's the best duo in the country. Those guys are studs, uh, and I think I, I think I, I, collectively this is probably the best receiving core they've had since that uh, 2004 team with you know uh, Mark Clayton, Mark Bradley, Will, you know those guys um, for sure. So I mean, this is there lot a lot of talent in the receiver room. Um, so I, I think there's there's a lot of really good players there. I thought the offensive line was what was uh, clearly took a step back from Florida Atlantic, but I think UCLA had a lot to do with that. Um, we talked about their youth on the defensive line against Cincinnati, but they got some good players there. They got some talented players there, um, and you know, l- like you said, they they obviously made a made an effort to take away the run game. And uh, but I will say the offensive line and pass protection was great. They were great. Uh, Kyler Murray didn't re- only got touched, uh, you know, a couple times. Didn't get sacked. Um, I, I thought they were really good, especially with uh, UCLA's got some guys who can rush the passer on the outside with their linebackers. Uh, so yeah, U- UCLA's got some really good athletes on their defense, and I and I think this was this they did a pretty good job for a first test. Um, you know, going up against those guys, especially protecting Kyler Murray. But other than that, um, I, I haven't had a chance to go back and rewatch the game yet. I was, I'm, I, I'm moving this weekend and, and into a new apartment and whatnot. So been pretty busy, but, um, w- when I do, I'll, I'll watch the offensive line a little closer. Uh, but my, my, my original, you know, takeaway from that was that they, they took a step back from, from last week, but not in any sort of concerning or significant way. All right, let's talk defense now, Grant. And I thought the Oklahoma defense on Saturday, and I'm going to specifically talk about the first unit because the second team guys came in fourth quarter and unfortunately allowed two garbage time-ish touchdowns, which ended up killing Oklahoma's chances of covering that 30-point spread, which I was very disappointed Oklahoma could not cover that spread. That late touchdown by UCLA really, really hurt me on that, and probably you as well. But overall, though, the defense, I thought, played very good in this game. Take away that 65-yard third down breakdown early on in the game. And that I don't even know what was going on in that play. I, I watched it back like 10 different times. And it, was a, it, I, was a, it was a total bust by Houghton. He just busted. I, that's the thing. It's, here, it, it was Caleb Wilson was the guy. And I think I brought up Caleb Wilson last show. He's that big, tall tight end. It looks like he's nine feet tall. And, again, it was just... Oh, first of all, Oklahoma should have been in cover three. There was four wide receivers out there. It was third and long, so I don't know why you wouldn't be in cover three because it looked like it looks like they're kind of in cover three, but also kind of looked like they were playing cover two. And I suppose this is sometimes a good thing because it means that the Sooners are actively trying to disguise what they're doing in the secondary here and there. But this time, everything was a mess, and you know I'd be surprised if Dorian Thompson Robinson their quarterback has an easier third and long conversion this season going forward I mean it was Caleb Wilson ran a simple post route to the middle of the field and nobody was within five yards of him it was just pitch and catch wide open catch and run for 65 yards and yeah I I guess it was it was hotten but I I don't know if it was just the call that was weird so that was throw that play away that was that was bizarre outside of that playground I thought the defense was was pretty awesome 
uh, yeah. against UCLA. Yeah, I want to. I, I thought the linebackers were spectacularly good, like very, very good. Um, and, and all of them, all of them were good. Mark Jackson Jr. led the team in tackles. He had ten tackles. He was active. Was great. Uh, Curtis Bolton, uh, who is you know, obviously has locked down that that will linebacker spot. He was really good. He looks great. Uh, I mean, we're, we're we're starting to realize, you know, with him getting injured, how much of a how much of a you know hit that was last year. You think you think it, you know, that wouldn't have been an upgrade over Emmanuel Beal last year. Um, so Ugh. you know, he he looks great. Uh, Kenneth Murray was the best player on the defense yesterday, uh, so that's obviously incredibly encouraging. Uh, he was he was very active and he looked he looked great. Uh, so if, if if that's the Kenneth Murray we get the rest of the season, uh, look out. This defense is is obviously going to take a massive step forward. Um, and then Ryan Jones, looking twitchy, looking athletic. He looks good. Uh, so I, I thought I, I thought the linebackers were great. I thought the defensive line took t- took a bit of a step back uh, from FAU, just like the offensive line did. Um, they didn't necessarily stand out to me as much as they did against Florida Atlantic, but the linebackers were so good, so, so good. And, and obviously, I just... Um, Mike Stoops has come to play. I I, I love the aggressiveness. I, I it, it it almost sounds like he's heard everybody's complaints with the aggressiveness because they've they're they're sending a lot of extra guys and I love it. Yeah, I, I have it in the notes here. I mean, Mike Stoops called a really good game, and you know how much of this is you know how much of this is everything involved with the off season kind of overhaul of I don't want to say, I guess overall is probably not the right word. What I'm trying to get at is they bring in Bob Diaco as a defensive analyst, and he's on the field. I mean, I've I've seen him at, I've seen him at the game on the field, and you know how much influence does Bob Diaco have? I guess we don't really know yet, but you have Bob Diaco come in, and then now you have Oklahoma's defense looking really good through two weeks, looking pretty darn aggressive, bringing blitzes that we didn't see Mike Stoops bring a season ago from linebackers and and uh, certain disguise blitzes from slot cornerbacks, and then on the other side. You have special teams. You have Shane Beamer come in here, and through two games, you have the special teams showing obvious changes and obvious successes that we didn't see last year. It's it's kind of simple, but those are two new people on this coaching staff, and kind of what the, part of their jobs were to Diaco was to make the defense better. You'd think. And Beamer was to come in and improve special teams, and both things have happened. So I think both of those guys right now, with not a whole lot of information, need to be given a lot of credit. I know we're talking defense now, so we'll stick with the defense. Uh, back to uh, and I guess before I get more to, to plays, I'll, I'll let you. Do you have any comments on that? Well, I mean, I, I'm I'm more than willing to give Shane Beamer a lot of credit because I mean that was it's it's very obvious that they've completely flipped a switch on special teams uh, clearly. Uh, and, and I mean, Lincoln Riley has said as much. He said in the, he said in the post game that they've made a conscious effort to do it. Um, and that was, I mean, I, they were kind of coy about it when, when Beamer was hired. Uh, that's why they hired him pretty obviously. Um, and, and his, his impact has, has showed up right away. Their special teams look, look great. And, and I hope we see a lot more of that going forward, especially in the return game. Um, uh, Bob Diaco, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't know how much credit we can give him. I'm, I'm sure it doesn't hurt at all, uh, but I, I I would you know with Diaco I'd I'd give just as much credit to the emergence of of just kind of the swagger laden secondary that that's emerged. Sure, the secondary that's, is that's just fair. It's the, that's I, fair. I, I like I said Lee I, I I I said kind of you know over the course of the spring and and going through the summer too that there is a little bit of evidence to suggest that when Mike Stoops is comfortable in the secondary that's when he really just kind of lets things loose and, and coaches with not a lot of pressure on him. And and 
there's there's there is some evidence suggests in these first two games that with this secondary he he feels like he has his guys and will I mean who knows that that might have been it all along I don't know well one example of that might give your theory some credence third and eight third quarter Oklahoma's in nickel and this is the first time that I remember seeing Parnell Motley Trey Norwood and Trey Brown all on all on the field at the same time and Norwood is playing slot corner here and Oklahoma's given a bit of a cover two uh, a cover two man look pre-snap and what you get though is you get Curtis Bolton blitzing up the middle which he did not consistently but he did a good amount on Saturday he blitzed and then you get Norwood blitzing off the edge and he was lined up like he was playing man coverage and Dorian Thompson Robinson never saw him coming boom Trey Norwood gets a sack and just just a nice blitz dial up by Mike Stoops and it comes from one of his secondary players off the edge and again maybe it's because he just has so much confidence in that position group that he's able to do things like this. Yeah, uh, and I, yeah. I, you know, hey, I, I'm I, very encouraged. The secondary has been just uh, these first two games, very encouraging. And this, this is what this is what depth does for you. Um, these guys are obviously pushing each other. They want to play, and they're going to work harder. And this is what you get. You get a bunch of guys. You get a bunch of really good players competing against each other, and this is the result. And and let's let's just hope that continues throughout the season. Let's hope people stay healthy back there. I know Robert Barnes missed the game, uh, so let's 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 hope they can all stay healthy because it, it's pretty clear that they're driving each other and they're they're feeding off of each other. Um, it it really does seem like that that position group they want to be great. That's really what it seems like. I mean that they're fun to watch, and and they're not you know there, there's some warts here and there. They're not perfect. I mean Buki missed a lot of tackles in the first half. Um, you know they're they're letting some guys get behind them every now and then. Of course we mentioned the bust with Khalil Houghton. But man, for the but, when was the last time we saw the secondary for you make this many plays? They're just making a lot of plays. And now, if uh, we could just get Buki to wrap up and make a tackle whenever he gets to somebody, that would help tremendously as well. Because it seems like sometimes he'll fly by and and he won't quite quite make a hit. And then luckily, some of his teammates are there to kind of wrap up and finish off what he's doing. He did not jump off the screen as much as he did against Florida Atlantic against UCLA. Still, I, nothing was bad about Buki's play from what I saw. It's just uh, he's young, and he's getting used to that college-level college, college level speed, I guess, and, and just kind of learning what he can and can't do out there and, and, and how he should be able to – or how he – the best way to make tackles and make plays. So, uh, I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on Buki, or we can move on to I, – I have a – a quick little I was going to do a film time with Lee but I don't really have a, enough information on it I'll, I'll go over this play it's pretty cool and I think a lot of people that aren't really maybe football uh, that aren't like super in-depth with football and, and know certain coverages and defenses and what to do I think might find interesting uh, but before we get to that though anything on Buki or the rest of the secondary no, I I, th- I thought Buki looked good. Like I said, I mean those those uh, you don't you don't want to see the missed tackles. So I hope he can just improve on that as as he gets more used to the speed of the game. But I mean, when you watch him, you see a guy who's just very confident in what he's doing. He belongs out there. Uh, he's uh, he's just a really good player, uh, and I and I think he's going to continue to get better. And I'm sure I, I'm sure some you know true freshman mistakes are going to continue to pop up as the season progresses. But also as the season progresses, uh, he's just going to get that much better as well. And you can you you can just see the talent and the athleticism dripping off of him. Um, and so uh, I, I did before you moved on to fill time with Lee. Um, I, I did just I wanted to mention just one more time, Lee. Uh, in you know the in this game, 
um, and, and over the first two weeks. Uh, I, I thought Kenneth Murray was was the best player on the defense in this game. He really stood out to me. And then other than that, Lee, over, over the course of these first two games, the guy who just jumps out the most on you when you watch when you watch the defense, the guy who just continues to show up is Trey Brown. He's a special player. He's a really really good player. And of course, had a nice kickoff return that really electrified the crowd in the game because it came right after UCLA. I mean, like UCLA at one point was up 7 nothing in that game. And that Trey Brown return was huge because it, it was like, okay, all right, things, everything's going to be fine. Like, immediately. That's what special teams do for you right there. And that, 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 that we have not seen something like that, you know, from, from an Oklahoma team and, you know, since, since the early stoop days in the early 2000s. Uh, I mean, that's just uh, that's what special teams can do. It just it, it completely just turns, you know, turns uh, turns the game around just like that. All right. So there's a play in the second quarter, and I'm trying to find it as we record this on tape, but I, I, I don't want to waste any time and find it. So there was a play. It was third down and seven. And this is Curtis Bolton. We're going to showcase Curtis Bolton here. And on this play, again, I I was I didn't have enough time to put together too much of a detailed explanation, but you see. Kenneth Murray blitzing off of the edge and on this play it's just all it is is a Kenneth Murray blitz he's the only one blitzing everybody else is in man coverage and Curtis Bolton is manned up on the running back on this play that's his guy but what he does here and what you're taught is that if your man is the running back and the running back stays in there and you see he's in there to, to block you crash on in you go in and you go because that's your guy and you basically turn in to a free rusher. And so when the running back stays in the block for Dorian Thompson Robinson here, since Bolton has that guy, he's like, oh man, this is it. He runs in. It kind of acts as a delayed blitz, which we saw a lot of the time watching Roquan Smith tape at Georgia last season. Georgia loved doing that. And Oklahoma, I haven't really seen throw in and he designed delayed blitzes but whenever you're in man coverage and you blitz and a running back stays in it can kind of act as one and so Bolton crashes in on a somewhat of a delayed blitz and picks up the sack and so that's what's kind of neat about you know defense whenever you're in man coverage and and you're taught correctly as like easily you know Bolton could have stayed back there and when he saw his man not going out for a route he could have been like okay I'm going to sit there and kind of just wait for my man to do something, wait for him to run out in the flats and do something. But instead, what he did is he reacted. He went in and crashed and got a sack. So I, I love plays like that where, you know, it, I, I think back to high school, and I know it's way different now, but I remember back there were some times when I played, I played cornerback, and every once in a while there would be a situation where I, I was told if we were in man coverage, if my guy was either a running back or a certain position – on the that, that was real tight to the line of scrimmage if that per uh if if uh if that guy went in motion a different way or went in the block then I could actually blitz and like we never blitzed we never brought any any secondary players and so it I was always super pumped up for that scenario to happen of course it never did in a real game I never got a chance to come off the edge and try to get a sack and that was 100 years ago whenever teams didn't throw as much as they do now but I, when I see that happen in, in, in real games and, and I see a linebacker who's only supposed to be playing man coverage, but he gets a chance to go in there and basically delay blitz and get a sack, I get pumped up and I get excited for him. And Curtis Bolton's a guy that he just gets pumped up over all that stuff, and he's playing some good football. Did you remember that play? I guess he, he yeah. had a couple sacks. So, yeah, I mean, he, they all yeah, kind of come had, together, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, he had one and a half sacks. Kenneth Murray had a sack on a delayed blitz. 
Well, that's another thing too. Same thing happened there. It was, yeah, uh, yeah. I, it was I, the I same kind was, of idea. What what I thought was uh, I thought that he was spying uh, Thompson Robinson is oh. what it, what it seemed like to me, and then he just decided to go after him. And remember last week we were you know you were still like ah the 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 wheels the gears in Kenneth Murray's head are still kind of turning you can still kind of see it turning well on that play and that was right right in the very beginning of the game he didn't have any wheels turning there he made a decision and he pounced yeah let me let decisive. me say that yeah he he did not he did not look uh, hesitant at all against UCLA he looked great um, so like I said if, if that's the Kenneth Murray that we see going forward and of course from there he's probably only going to get better as he you know as he plays more this year. Uh, very, very encouraging, exciting stuff. Uh, because, like I said, I, I don't know if they've they, they certainly haven't had an athlete or or a, a physical specimen back there uh, like Kenneth Murray since at least Curtis Lofton has been there. Um, so they got, they got I mean, he, he he looked great on Saturday. So let, let's let's hope we see more of that going forward. At halftime, UCLA had 133 total yards of offense which uh, was good enough for 3.9 yards per play. So, I mean, really good for half a football. You know, 68 yards. Uh, you, you, sorry. You take away that 65-yard busted third and long play. UCLA only had 68 yards in 33 plays in the first half, which was only two yards per play. And I don't have this, the overall stats, but the, the first-team Oklahoma defense only allowed – you know that one touchdown at one point. What was this game? Uh, what was it? Thirty-five to seven or forty-two to seven at one point? It was forty-two and, to seven, I think. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just the the defense really played well, and then of course uh, UCLA kind of got a little bit of things going against the second team defense. So really excited about the defense there. Anything else you want to add about the D before we move on to the special teams, real quick? Uh, I would say let's let's not get too excited quite yet. This UCLA offense is is still not a good offense. Um, they're they're still not very good in the trenches. They they certainly have some some talented and good individual players, but like I said, they're they're certainly rebuilding in the trenches. And uh, the the OU first team defense did what they were supposed to do against a a, a below average to bad UCLA offense. I agree with you on that. Oklahoma was very good for the most part the first part of the season last year, and then the the middle part was incredibly inconsistent. So yeah, it's can't get too excited just yet. Special teams-wise, we've already talked about the Trey Brown kickoff return a little bit. That sparked uh, really everything, so that was huge. He also had another pretty good kickoff return later on in the game. It wasn't as big, but it was also real, really solid. And then the other thing that jumps into, into, into mind, obviously, is the C.D. Lamb punt return. He goes 66 yards in the punt return, would set up another touchdown. That set up the A.D. Miller touchdown. That made it 35-7. to Really just, I don't have any details on special teams. I just want to say it's it's great that special teams is a thing at Oklahoma, at least for the first two games of this year. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think going forward, it's it's going to continue to be a, a weapon. Uh, Trey Brown is going gonna, is, is gonna to be a weapon returning kicks all season long. That guy's a stud. Um, CD, I, I, I feel like when, they, when he got opportunities last year, he, he he kind of flashed uh, returning punts a little bit, just kind of with his with his wiggle. He doesn't really have the breakaway speed, but that's not really his game. He's just kind of a no. He he's just, he's just a really solid, good player. So um, yeah, obviously very encouraging. Um, Lee, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot since the game yesterday, or and by a lot, I mean I've I've thought about it you know once or twice, but I, I and I haven't gone back to fact check myself yet. I. I I cannot think of a single season 
um, since the 2000 national championship season in which OU has not had just a catastrophic, devastating injury. I, I just, I can't, I, I think they've had one every single year since that 2000 national championship team. Hmm, I'm trying to, what about, so who was the catastrophic, devastating injury a season ago? Uh, well, I mean, you could argue Jordan Parker going down, Curtis oh, Bolton yeah. now, Curtis Bolton now that we saw him going down. Uh, it really hurt the depth in the secondary. Uh, you could say that for yeah. sure. That's okay. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, there, and and injuries, obviously, you know, you're yeah, you're obviously, you know, I I think of the big ones as well. Uh, 2008, Ryan Reynolds, obviously, another one that not a lot of people remember from 2008. Demarcus Granger getting hurt and being out for the season. Um, 2009, obviously, Bradford and Jermaine Gresham. Uh, just yeah, I mean, the list goes on and on. They they've they they really haven't escaped a season. Um, like I said, since the national chat title season, in which they, they did not have a devastating injury. And I honestly, they, they've had injuries that have cost them national titles. Real quick uh, on special teams, talking to Trey Brown yesterday as well. He, one thing stood out to me, uh, the special teams, he even mentioned, he's like, hey, the culture is different now. Thinking back to last year, they just emphasize special teams a lot more. The philosophy is different now. So there's, again, you talked about Shane Beamer earlier. It's he has done so much for this team already using special teams as a weapon. And, and Lincoln Riley on the, uh, Saturday after the game again talked about how he, he was not good at delegating special teams. He didn't take special teams. Uh, I, I was going to say seriously. That's not, that's, not, that's not fair. He didn't say that. He, basically, Lincoln Riley after the game kind of continued and, and said, yeah, I, I gave too much to Jay Bowler last year. I didn't do enough on my end to really emphasize special teams. And that's just one of the things that Lincoln Riley noticed in the off season, looking back that they need to get better on. And they certainly are better at it this year. So it's great that Riley uh, was able to identify a problem in the off season. And it seems like it's been instantly fixed, which is fantastic. And I, I just can only hope that it's consistent throughout the year. And really, Lee, at a, at a program like Oklahoma with, with the amount of athletes they have on their roster, there is no excuse to not be a prof, uh, proficient in special teams. And, that, and that, that goes for every team in the country that has, just, that has really good athletes up and down the roster. It's, just, it's no excuse to be bad at special teams. All right, Grant, this, is, uh, this needs to be a, a tight show. That's all I got. I'll let you uh, – I'll give you the floor if you have any more final thoughts. But if not, we're going to go ahead and wrap this puppy up. No, uh, just you know, going forward, I let's let's hope that we continue to see the aggressiveness from the defense. Um, you know, I I think there's going to be a lot of teams coming up here that they might be able to tee off on uh, that don't maybe necessarily present a huge challenge in the passing game, at least up until they play Baylor. So let's hope they can we we continue to see the pressure and the aggressiveness. I really love that, and also in the absence of Rodney Anderson, uh, I it just makes you know the the emergence of the Kyler Murray show all that more important. Um, if they're going to win a national championship league, Kyler Murray is going to have to uh, put this team on his back in some respects, I, I really think. Or, or or the defense is going to have to continue to improve up to the point of being an elite unit, which which I don't necessarily think they're ready to do yet. I mean, we've yeah, only seen two games. so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, that, that's, that's what they got going forward. Um, we can't say anything definitively yet, but... Um, you know, uh, you know, coming up later this week, we're going to preview a, a really interesting game coming up 
uh, on next Saturday. So it's it's certainly going to be interesting going forward. All right, I got to get going to work, so we're going to have to save all of our other college football thoughts for later in the week, which that's better anyways because we'll be able to watch more games back and have more informed opinions on what happened this past week in college football. So that does it for this show. We'll be back later on this week with a look at Iowa State, who Grant just referenced a second ago. The Cyclones did not have a good Saturday against Iowa. So, yeah, OU Iowa State preview coming up this Thursday. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.